Hey, good morning. The week after Easter. The week after Easter. All right. Hey, I, uh, uh, I appreciate Carrie uh, expounding on the, uh, the many books of Exodus, right? I think she had found 180, 90 chapters in Exodus. Uh, it probably feels like that to some of you guys that we've been in Exodus for for that amount of time, but that's not uh, the case. But I will say to you guys today, we are picking up in chapter 32 of Exodus. And uh, before I even say anything about that, I will ask you guys to be praying uh, for the Wiesenforth family, be praying for the Judd family, be praying for uh, Miss Kathy. And there's probably others that I'm missing right off the, right off the top of my head. Uh, we seem to have a, uh, this uh, strep issue. Uh, going through the life of the church. I know some of you guys have already been there, done that, and come out of that. And so just be praying for them as uh, they navigate this, okay? And, uh, but if you would, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Now, <clears throat> I will say this. Um, we're going to go back to, and we're going to read a few verses in Exodus ch chapter 24. And the reason we're going to do this is I'm going to kind of set for you uh, and establish for you what's taking place. Remember, Moses had ascended uh, up the mountain, and um, uh, in, in chapter 24, he receives all of these directions regarding the tabernacle. And we're going to be covering them as we go through the rest of Exodus, but uh, that's what is actually taking place. So I want to read that to give you a sense of, of how long the people have been waiting, okay? In Exodus chapter 24, verse 15 through 18, just three verses, it says, when, or four, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, verse 16, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and for six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the mountain, or within the cloud, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses, the scripture says, entered the cloud as he went up or went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And you guys remember before we jumped into uh, those three weeks in John, no one knew going into this that Moses was going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses didn't know it, the people didn't know it, Aaron didn't know it, Joshua didn't know it, Hur didn't know it, none of the 70 elders knew it, none of those guys knew that. And you and I, sometimes when God is, is His will and His purpose is playing out in our lives, we just don't know what the timetable is going to be. And sometimes we just have to concede uh, to what God is doing and just kind of take our hands off that and allow God uh, to minister, to, to, to direct us, guide us, and all those other things, you know, at his liberty, right? And, and you and I aren't really good at that because oh, we're control people, right? I mean, we are control people. We are the drivers, right? Every man in this room says to his wife as they get into the car, I'm driving, and the wife says, no, I'm driving, right? And so all of us kind of experience that as Kevin and Marissa laugh over there because they know that to be the truth. Now, some of you may have a, 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 a very uh, 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 
conceding spouse who may just say, you take the wheel and I'll sleep. Now, I can tell you when my wife is driving, that's never my experience. Sleeping, that's not my experience. But so the, Moses has gone up there for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? And this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 through 14, is in uh, uh, what is about to happen is Moses coming down from the mountain. Many of you have heard the, the, the account that is, is recorded in Exodus uh, uh, 32, and it's the account of the children of Israel, if you'll allow me to use this term, backslide in relations to uh, the, the dynamic between them and God, and there is this forging, if you will, of a golden calf, an image by which they were going to uh, 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 express their adoration towards as opposed to God. Remember this? Now, that's a lot that is happening in Exodus 32. What you and I are going to do is just look at the scripture that lays the groundwork by which all of this comes about, okay? It's literally the cause, you know what I'm talking about, that brings about the effect. And so we're going to look at this, and I'm going to go ahead and confess to you this morning, this is some of the saddest scripture in all the Old Testament. I'm not kidding you, man. This stuff is heartbreaking stuff when you consider who God is, what God has done, and then the response of these people that God has called and God has chosen in light of that, right? And when you watch how this thing unfolds, I'm telling you, this is so relative, so, so significant to what is happening today. When we watch this thing unfold, I'm telling you, if you have eyes to see, ears to hear, and reason within your heart and your spirit, you're going to see this very thing playing out, not just within this culture. The culture is what it is. But I'm talking about within the church, within the church culture. So let's take a look at this scripture, okay? And then this is what it says. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, who is still on the mountain, Go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick, man, quick 
to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray this morning with our eyes open, our hearts open, our minds clear, that you would speak to your people today through this word. And may we be a people who leave here today resolved, resolved in our hearts and in our spirits to honor God above all things, regardless of the pressures that surround us, regardless of, of how many gather around us, Lord, that we would honor you, that we would stay true to you, that we would be a blessing to your name, and that we would not be people who line the, uh, the, uh, the adversaries of the gospel with ammunition to blaspheme your name or your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at that verse 1. Verse 1. You guys can see it on the screen if you're following along in your Bibles. If not, you can follow along on, on the monitors. And so this is what it says right there, that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. So now... Much like we are control people, the other thing that I know about you and I know about me is we're not good waiting people, right? That's part of the control dynamic, isn't it? Is that we don't like to wait on things. But one of the things that I've come to realize in my life is that you can mark an individual's spiritual maturity by the way they handle God-ordained periods of waiting. And their feet do not become shifty. And, 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 and they're, they're, they don't become uncomfortable in the waiting. I think that sometimes speaks great volumes of a person's life and relationship with God is how at ease they can become even under moments and seasons of crisis in the waiting on God. I'm telling you, there's something, there's something in that waiting that speaks volumes of that individual that can posture themselves in a place of humility in that season and just wait. But you and I know that isn't easy. Hence, it's a mark of real maturity. Real maturity in the spirit. There's times that I've been a waiter. And there's, there's been times, Greg, when I've not been. And in the seasons of not being, what has been exposed in my heart is a lack of maturity, which God has had to grow up in me and bring me to a place a place of maturation in my own spirit where I was forced to wait and then I experienced the benefit of the waiting which, which grew me up in my spirit. And some of you have been there. Some of you have experienced exactly what I'm talking about. Now here is what is incredible. This joker's been gone for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And the people are beginning to complain. Now here's the thing that blows my mind. While they're waiting for Moses, who's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights, you know what they're not waiting for? They're not waiting for manna or water from the brook because for four, those 40 days, the manna was still being provided. Do you realize this? 
It was still being provided. Exodus chapter 16 verse 35 says this. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. In the book of Joshua, it declares that the manna did not cease until they had consumed the provision of the land of Canaan. So for these 40 days, man, while these people were waiting on God, while they were even beginning to bicker and complain about the absence of, uh, of, of Moses, they're bickering and complaining with a mouthful of manna and a, and a pallet that's been wetted by the water of the brook. Man, that is astounding, right? Right? That we can sit there and take the man of God and consume it, and while we're digesting it, we're looking up there complaining. Right? Guilty. Right? Maybe I'm the only one. But I've been there. Me and Leslie have been there. She acknowledges it in the back. And Josh is acknowledging she's been there too. Right? Right? But we've all been there, have we not? So we're not so different than these people. Our stomachs satisfied, our palates wetted by the brook of the water God has provided. And yet we're not willing to continue to wait. It isn't as though they're waiting in a posture of, of being famished. They're not emaciated people. Why not wait? But it's not in them to wait. And then this is what it says. And, and let me say this. Let me say this. Moses had directed them to wait. You realize that, Right? This is what Moses said, okay, in Exodus 24, 14. He says this. He said to the elders, remember these are the 70 that come up, and Aaron and her, remember that? He said this to them. Wait here. Wait here for us. Who's he, when he says us, who's he speaking of? Himself and Joshua. Remember, Joshua ascends the mountain with him. Wait here for us until we come back. Until we come back. Aaron and her are with you and involved, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Well, what ultimately is happening here? What we see in the scripture, what we see in the scripture, and conspicuous by his absence is her, right? The scripture says that they basically gather around Aaron, and every time we read this scripture, the very first thought that permeates our minds is, Aaron, man, where was your backbone? Where was you? And where is her in all this? Well, let me step out of the scripture and give you a, a, a source material that might clarify this, the Midrash. The Midrash is about 34 to 3,500 years old. The Midrash is a document that was documented by Jewish scholars regarding the Torah. During the life of Joshua. Do you know what the, and these people, the Jewish people who, who adhered to the Midrash, count the Midrash almost equal to Scripture, but not as equal, not as, not as inspired. But it is a historical document to fill in the gaps for the Jewish people regarding the Torah. You know what they said happened to her? In the Midrash, and the scripture doesn't speak to this, but you know what the scripture does speak to? To the absence of her from this point on. You know what the Midrash says? The Jewish scholars say 
that her stood up to the people and said, you have severed yourself from God. And you know what the Midrash says? They murdered him. They murdered her, which completely explains to some degree Aaron's apprehension in maintaining a position of absolute resolve regarding God. Who then, who then would be leading in the absence of Moses? Who they don't know where he's at. Her being killed. And who was left to, to navigate the complexity and, and, and the complaints of the people? Aaron and her were. And now it's just Aaron. All of a sudden, the scripture starts to look different. Let's, let's look at this. And the, and the scripture says, they gathered around Aaron. It's the Hebrew word all. You know what it means? It means to congregate on, above, or over. This is your quintessential image of bullying, mob mentality, right? You're with me on this, right? Can you see you got Aaron now, her's been murdered, and now this group of, of individuals gather up on and above Aaron. How would you do in the face of, of a mob of people when you've watched the individual who has deeply connected you? Her was a man who held up the arms of Moses with Aaron, and they butchered his life. What do you think they're going to value about your life if you take a stand? How do you think you would stand up under such opposition? It's easy to look at Aaron and say, where's your backbone? I say to you, where's your backbone, right? Where's my backbone? We cater and conform to every pressure in our culture, in our society. From, the, from the, 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 the world of academia to just the, the social, social constructs that we find ourselves engaged in today. And every time the pressure is on, man, the political correctness or whatever it might be, man, we just kind of wilt under that. And we just fade under that. And we look at Aaron and we say, Aaron, come on, man. And if Aaron could step in to 2023, Aaron may say to each and every one of us, come on, man. I mean, this is the, and I hate bullies, right? Everybody in here hates bullies, right? Right? One of the things that I've learned about social media is that not everything that is tagged in a video is actually consistent with the content of the video. Sometimes the tagging of a given video is to draw you in and sometimes to even a different persuasion of thought. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? But I'm going to tell you, and you can go home and you can check this out. Things that are typically clicked the most are videos that are captioned like this. A bully gets owned. A bully learns his lesson. You know why that is? You know why that's so attractive? Because each and every one of us despises a bully, right? And each and every one of us right, is wanting to see the bully get his, right? Every one of us who are of the age of 50 remember the movie The Bodyguard, right? 
And you remember the bald guy at the end who was picking on the guy. You, you know what I'm talking you know, about? And listen, you're watching a movie and everything in you is like, hit him. Hit him. Right? Everything in you. And when the, when the bully finally gets his, you're like, yeah, yeah. And you rewind it and you want to watch it again. Right? Right? I mean, this is in us, right? This sense of justice. Or it's in me, I guess. No, right, it's in you. Mate, okay. I'm the only one that clicks on the bully video. But that's what's happening here. And this is what he says, okay? Or this is what they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Now listen, Moses had just given the old Decalogue, right? The ten words, what we know to be the ten commandments. Do you remember what the first two commandments were? Well, let's read them real quick. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? Thank you, Clark. Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Those are the first two commandments. Right? They're violating the first two commandments. Moses has been gone for 40. They're violating these commandments while they're eating the manna. Right? Isn't this crazy? And then this is what they say. As for this fellow Moses, in the Hebrew it's Kazah Moshe, and it's, a, it's literally a derogatory statement where they're basically saying, yeah, this, this fellow Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. That's what it's, they're basically saying. They're like, that guy, you remember that guy, that guy that went up the mountain 40 days ago. Hairy-faced guy, kind of like Jeremiah. Not Jeremiah the prophet, but Jeremiah on row four, Nordite. Right? A sense of contempt for Moses. And then they say this, and listen to me. This is what they say. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. You see what just happened right there? They ascribe the work of God to the work of a man. Why do they do that? When we ascribe the work of God to the work of a man, we can discount the work. Right? In the church today, in the progressive church today, what has the progressive church today done, the compromising church in America done, one of the very first things they want to do is ascribe the work of God to men that they may discount it. You know how they do that? They'll say, oh, the New Testament, stuff that Paul and them wrote, men wrote that. That wasn't inspired by God, even though the Scripture says all Scripture is given by inspiration. They discount the validity and the authority of the Scripture, right? They reject it, and in so rejecting the Scripture, they're able to reject the directions and the content of the Scripture. The authority has been undermined. That's exactly what they're doing here. They're saying Moses brought us out. God, and the whole time their mouth is full of manna. God didn't bring us out, but Moses brought us out. So once all of the work of God is ascribed to Moses, 
then in Moses' absence, they can discount the work and even the words that Moses had given them regarding the Decalogue, the Ten Words, or the Ten Commandments. Call it what you will. Do you see what I'm talking about? When I talk to my brothers and sisters, and, and there's an individual who'll say, well, I think this is right, or I think that's right. And I'll say to them, well, the Scripture clearly teaches. They say, well, we don't believe that to be inherent. And I'm like, then what are you even basing your faith on? Your notions, your feelings, your emotions? If you look at the Scripture and you discount the validity of the Scripture and the authority of the Scripture, then what are you basing your, why are you a Christian? Why do you call yourself a Christian? Why do you say you follow Jesus? It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know what God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, before giving the Decalogue, before giving the commandments? You know what he says? He doesn't ascribe the work to men. He owns the work himself. And this is what God says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That is the truth, Jack. That is the truth. God owned it and said, it's me. And upon that declaration, God then says, you shall have no other gods before me. Based what? On the work of God. They discount the work of God, so they discount the first commandment, which allows them then to do what? To go to Aaron and request that an idol be made, a new God be made. Are you tracking with me? You've got to see this, Josh. Josh, you see this, don't you? Don't make me come to your house tonight and preach this again. You've got to see this. You think this isn't happening? You think this isn't happening? Forget the culture. You think this isn't happening in churches around this country? If you think it isn't, man, you're completely blind, man. You're completely blind. I literally heard a man say from a pulpit that the doctrine against same-sex marriage is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That was said in front of a church full of people as they worship God, or so they said. Let's, let's kind of move on. Come on, move on. And they say, who brought us out of Egypt, and we don't know what has happened to him. And listen, I'm telling you, this is the saddest portion of this scripture. I'm trying to get into the shoes of Aaron and I'm trying to extend grace and I'm trying to understand the pressures that he's under. Maybe standing in a puddle of blood of his family member is her. And they've gathered around him in the masses. And Aaron answered them, listen to this. Listen. Aaron answered them. Now he's speaking. Part of the situation with Aaron in this moment is that his relationship with God is directly connected to Moses. In Moses' absence, there's a fracture in the relationship dynamic. The strength has been removed. 
Not removed from her who lays dead, maybe next to him. But there's, let me, let me say this. We shouldn't have a relationship with God that is contingent on a third party. You know what I'm talking about? You know, because let, let me say this. The fallen preacher always leads people astray who are followers of the preacher. Fallen preachers do not leave in the hearts of God-loving followers of Jesus a disillusionment. You know why? They're never following that joker. They've always been following God. And let me say this to you. Don't you dare ever in your hearts connect your relationship with God with me. That is a ridiculous position to maintain. Listen, can you have confidence in me? I hope you do, and I desire with everything in me to live a life that would what foster that confidence. But don't ever look at me as some type of a, 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 a advocate that I cannot maintain and put a level of pressure on me that you wouldn't want placed on yourself and then allow my conduct or my lack of conduct to be, to be the determining factor of your faithfulness to God, Ricky. If I fail through this floor, it doesn't change the cross. It doesn't change the gospel. You get this, right? And Aaron speaks out of fear, whatever the issue is going, whatever is happening inside him, Aaron speaks, and this is what he says. This is heavy. This is heavy stuff. Sad, but it's heavy. Get this. Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what, he had, hand, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. They said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now when he says, go get this jewelry, who's he talking to? You want me to tell you? Because the scripture doesn't say but through reasonable deduction, we can come to a legitimate and accurate conclusion. You know who he's talking to? Well, who has wives? Who has sons and daughters? But men, husbands, fathers. And how many of these people were there? Well, read the last portion of the scripture. When God's judgment comes, how many men die? 3,000. So you're talking about 3,000 men. Amongst a population that could be in excess of 3 million men. Which means that group of people, one-tenth of a percent, leads a revolution against the God of heaven. In the hearts of the people. So I look at Aaron and I say, Aaron, buck up. But I look at the other 2.9 million people and say, where are you? Why this is taking place. And he says to these 3,000 fathers who have wives, brothers, and sisters, go take from your children what has been the, the ornaments which God provided coming out of Egypt for the decoration and the creation of the temple and all of the, the, the furniture that would reside in the temple. Repurpose what God has provided. Can you imagine such a thing? And so these fathers go to their children and they take the valuables 
that God had ordained and purposed for his temple. And these fathers stripped from their wives, stripped from their sons, stripped from their daughters, these provisions of God and repurposed them. Okay, Trent, you're yelling too much. Calm down. Okay, let's, let's walk back. I say this to my brothers, to my brothers in fatherhood. The lives we live, Ricky, the lives we live, the manner in which we express it, we are either protecting the purpose of God in the lives of our families, or we are stripping them, even out of neglect, and repurposing those things and robbing our children and our families. Do you not see this? Can you not see this in this scripture? These aren't concepts or principles I've pulled out of the ether. They're there. That's what's happening. And this is what the scripture says. He took what they handed him. He knew the value of these things. But you know what's sad? He didn't know how God had purposed them. And he considered them to be throwaway things. So he takes them. Oh man, the things that God has desired to do with our children. And little Ivy. I may not understand what God's doing in her life right now, but I have no excuse for taking those things to which I do not understand and just scrapping them for my own purpose and own desires. Grandpas, we can't do this. Fathers, we can't do this. I hope one day, Jay, if the Lord tarries and I find myself exiting this life in a more natural manner other than flipping a car over somewhere, you know what I'm talking about? I mean a more natural manner. I hope one day that my children would gather as, as I'm exiting this world, Daniel. And I hope the testimony of my children would be that, Dad, you never repurposed what God had intended. You've never repurposed. You always encouraged the purpose of God in us. You never stripped us or tore away from us what God had deposited and to use it for another reason. That's my desire. And this is what the scripture says, that he took those things, fashioning it with a tool. Here's Aaron. And so I've got to, I've got to, I just want to make an analogy, okay? Let me just make a, an application. He fashioned it with a tool. 
Meaning what? He created. Basically, they would take wood and they would carve out a molding. He fashioned this to make it suitable for their desires. Right? Do you think that's not happening in the church? That we're fashioning the image of God to appease the desires of of people? Right? You see this, right? I've heard things said. I've heard things demonstrated. Jay, I've told you, Carrie would tell you when I hear these, it literally, it, it robs me of my sleep. Not because the world and the secular uh, 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 culture is crazy. That, I don't lose, I'm anticipating that. But the great falling away in the body of Christ and our desire to appeal to people to the degree that we fashion a God to appease people, to draw people into the worship of a God that does not exist, fashioned out of our own hands. And then they said, that being the men, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now taking and ascribing the work of God to frivolous idols, fashioned out of the hands of a man. Now watch this. This is crazy. But if you don't read this, go home and what a weep. And when Aaron saw this, Aaron, and I tried to be understanding of Aaron and his plight. But when I read this, it just crushes my spirit. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. And you know what he says? Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. You know what name he used? Yahweh. The covenant name of God for the Hebrew people. The personal name of God, Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-D, Lord. He had violated the covenant with Yahweh. Created in violation of the first two commands. An idol... And then said, let us do what our hearts desire and we'll just call it Yahweh. We'll call it that. But them calling it that doesn't make that Yahweh. You could call it, I don't care how many times you call it that. It doesn't make it true. I don't care what numbers call it that. I don't care what what dense, dense population, what culture calls it that. I hear people say, well, my Jesus looks to... I'm I'm like, what? Your Jesus? Your Jesus? Man, you're talking about a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit altogether. And that's what the scripture... Did you know the apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians? He says this. 
He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily, though. He said, I'm afraid of this. Acts 17, verse 29 through 31 says this. Listen, listen. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Listen, listen. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that being Christ. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, that being Christ, from the dead. Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early. Man, well, people can't get people to church, man. We have service at 11 o'clock. I'm like, hey, man. We're not, we're not asking you to get up in the midnight hour to be here. Man, we're talking 11 o'clock. What time you get them to go to work during the week? Oh, I get about 5.30. Can you make it to church at 11? 11? Y'all do a night service? No, we don't. The scripture says, What? People rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship. Why? Because they got the desire of their hearts. Man, this is what they really wanted, man. And they'll get up early for what they really want. I say to my brother, man, and I'm not dropping this on him, man. This ain't judgment or anything else. I'm not saying anything like that. But listen, hey, I got some friends, man. I invite the church. They're like, man, I can't get up that early on Sunday. I call that same guy Monday morning and say, hey, you want to play golf? We got tea time at 9. He said, I'll meet you out there at 8. Where's the golf course located, Trent? I said, 100 Hobson Way. 100 Hobson Way in this parking lot. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. You know. Come on. And this is what the scripture says. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. To sawcock. It means to make sport of or to mock or to laugh. You know where that word is used in the Old Testament? It is used when Abraham laughs at God when he says he'll father a child in his old age. When he mocks God, laughs at him. It's also used when Sarah laughs at God when the same truth is presented to her, a mocking. That, you know where else it's used? It's used by Potiphar's wife when she tries to pull Joseph in her Venus fly trap of deceit and manipulation and she says to those who are responsible for her y'all let this Hebrew come in here and he's coming here to make sport of me or to mock me or to make fun of me it's the exact same word so they got up they went through these motions they did everything they were going to do and at the end of it they rise up and mocking making sport of what was there to make sport of? 
But God, maybe Aaron, maybe Moses who had been dislodged by 40 days and nights. 3,000 men turned the heart of a nation of 3 million? Not for long. And you wonder why the punishment was so severe? Because what was at stake? You say, man, God is brutal. He would wipe out 3,000 men. 3,000 men that were leading 2.9 million people away. Whose hearts were turned against God, who made mockery of God, who made sport of God and his commandments. The God who had brought them out. Right? Let's close, let's close. Verse 7 and 8, we're closing. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is an incredible thing, Moses up on the mountain, he hadn't come down yet. But you know what God knows? Everything. That's what he knows. Boy, let's just sum that thing up, man. He knows what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain. Does Moses know? No, Moses doesn't have to know. God knows. Right? Right? Preacher don't have to know. He ain't got to snoop on your Facebook account. Or in the words of Dwayne Evans, your Facebook, either or. I don't need to call you, your neighbor. I don't need to know. God knows. That's the only one that matters, ultimately. Right? That's the only one that really matters. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because you're people. Now listen, this sounds strong. This sounds bitter and resentful of God, doesn't it? Because this is what God says. Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. That sound rough to you? Sound pretty stout? Not really. Go back to verse 1. When they made the statement, Moses brought us out. You know what God was saying, basically? I'm going to give them what they want. And guess who the, guess who the retribution and the punishment is going to come through? It comes through Moses. Moses goes down that mountain. Moses calls for those who have aligned themselves with God. And the entire Levite tribe, the descendants of Aaron, align themselves with Moses. And you know what Moses basically says? We'll get to that in a couple of weeks, but I'm going to give you a little inside look. You know what Moses basically says? Boys, go take care of these fools. They've led the nation astray. And you know what they do? They administer the justice that God had deemed appropriate for the violation, the violation for the heart of his people. You know what they were doing? They were elevating themselves against God. Redirecting the hearts and the worship of his people. And God says, this will not be so amongst my people. And so this is what God says. They have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded. Yeah, 40 days, man. 40 days and have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. Now, you remember what they did? They sacrificed, they bowed down, and they worshipped this idol. You remember what they called the idol? Yahweh, the name of God, remember? Now, let's, let's look at the take of God as we're closing, how God sees all that. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. And have said, these are our gods. They worshiped it. 
who brought you out of Egypt. Does God accept that worship, even though they called it his name? No. He doesn't. And you say, Trent, is the gospel of Jesus, is it a, an inclusive gospel? And I say to you, no, it's exclusive. Do you know why? Because you and I, you and I both must conform to what God has said. He's not looking to bring us in on our own standards. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes through the Father except through me, that's not inclusive. That's exclusive. These are the perimeters by which you'll come into a relationship with God. All other things must be laid down. All other things must be laid down. So, you're like, hey, Trent, a week after Easter, man, I was on, I was on cloud nine last week. Man, you deflated me this morning. You jumped back into Exodus, and man, I feel flat. I feel like the world's going to pot out there. Well, it is, to be honest with you. I just want to give you a check into reality with the scripture. And you see how all of this played out. You see what literally the groundwork for this revolt and rebellion of Israel. And I can tell you time and time again when this occurs, this is the formula by which it occurs. This is the formula. Man, this thing happens over and over and over again. You say, well, Trent, why are you telling us about what happened with the Jews back in Exodus? Because it's part of who they are. And it's part of who we are. And if we do not protect our own hearts, our own relationship with Jesus, not on how we feel or how we perceive certain things, but if we don't do it based on God's word, then we will find ourselves just like the children of Israel, 40 days removed while manna's in their mouth and water from the brooks on their lips worshiping a false god and trying to assign their adoration to that god and calling it the true god. And the true god says that in the case. As a matter of fact, the word of God is the only thing by which we can protect our own relationship with God, our own soul. As a matter of fact, we're going to close with Hebrews. Right? This first, let me read this. For the word of God is alive and active. Right? Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He saw it. He knew what was happening. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Amen? Everybody track with me this morning. You understood where, we had, where we're going. You got this? And so when you come back next week and you say, okay, Trent, what, what's happening this week? We're going to watch this thing unfold, man. We're going to watch this thing unfold. You can go home and you can read it. We, we can read it together this week. You don't have to wait till next Sunday to watch this thing unfold. Go home and read it tonight. Watch it unfold in your own personal devotion. 
It probably proved more beneficial to you to do that. But we're going to study this, Ronnie, and we're going to understand what God is doing and why God's doing it. Amen? Stand with me this morning. We'll be dismissed. My prayer and my hope for you guys today is that the word of God would sink deep into your heart. You would leave this place saying to yourself, allow the word of God to shape, form. Let it fashion. Let that be the tool that fashions my view of God and my understanding of myself. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Let that be it. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we tried to rightfully divide your word this morning. Uh, flawed as I am, Lord, I, I try. Oh, I try. And Lord, this morning I pray. I pray not just for my brothers and sisters to possess a spirit of boldness and strength and confidence, but oh, may it be accompanied by a spirit that is gentle and that is kind and long-suffering and patient. But Father, when we find ourselves in those places, may we be meek in the sense that there is a power that resides in us that is under the control of your spirit by which we can communicate truth with love. And that we might be able to communicate love with truth. And Father, so as sons and daughters of God, your kids, we pray, Lord, that you would just strengthen us and guide us and direct us. May our homes be what they need to be. May our fathers guard and protect, Lord, the, the, the deposits that you've placed in the lives of their family. May we not be men who strip the value of God from our households, but may we promote the value of God. And Lord, even as I'm praying, I'm thinking of her's grandson who becomes one of the craftsmen to build the articles in the tabernacle. In the blood of her, he protected the valuables in the lives of generations to follow him. Oh, God, may we be that type of people. May we be that type of people. So, Father, we bless you this morning, and we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus we bless your word, we bless your sons and your daughters, and we thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name, and the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.